0: Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full-service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all cuts and trims are by appointment only. So head over to their website at 10thWardBarbershop.com and book your appointment now with Kane, Jordan, and the rest of the team at 10th Ward Barbershop. That's 10thWardBarbershop.com. And we thank them for supporting the podcast foundation radio is brought to you by the dugout the dugout provides custom quality apparel at an affordable price modern style mixed with classic designs you'll find retro t-shirts brought into the 21st century adam has several of his favorite t-shirts in rotation from the team at the dugout including customized dudley boys prince in the revolution and the notorious big t-shirts right now if you purchase your items through their etsy site and use promo code foundation you'll receive 15 percent off your entire order that's right 15 percent off your entire order follow them on instagram at the Dugout brand, follow the link on their Etsy shop and use your promo code FOUNDATION for 15% off your entire order. The Dugout, custom quality apparel at an affordable price.
1: and welcome to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Barnard. Thank you so much for joining me again today. My guest is the former uh, Illinois Congressional District Representative and Conservative Talk Radio Show host and very prominent member uh, of the uh, anti-Trump movement, Joe Walsh. Joe, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time.
2: Hey, Adam, man, it's great to be with you. Thanks.
1: So I wanted to start with a little bit of background on you because I know a little bit about your background, but I want to talk about A little bit kind of give context to the listeners as far as who you are, uh, who may not be familiar with you. Tell a little bit more about um, your start in politics and how that progressed into um, the candidacy in Illinois.
2: Um, Like a lot of people, Adam, who a lot of Republicans who ran in 2010, I ran for Congress in 2010. I was part of that Tea Party wave. That wave got me elected. There wasn't anything special I did. Uh, I ran because I was pissed off at how big government was and all of this debt uh, that both parties had had put on this country. So that's what I ran on. I still call my I got elected by 291 votes. Uh, (laughs) I still consider myself a strong Tea Partier, though I know the Tea Party is a complicated thing. Um, and I, I, uh, 10, 11 years later, I left the Republican party. It's been a weird journey.
1: I can imagine. Yeah. And, and, and especially knowing some folks in my own life who are tea party, uh, identifiers, but also very strongly supportive of Donald Trump. And I'll throw this right out there now, Joe, too. A, a lot of the, the things that we will, a lot of the things in the world we disagree on, I'm sure heavily. Um, I know our stances on abortion are different and I know our stances on, uh, climate change are different. Um, I know I've also probably, I was looking back and doing some research on my notes and I saw some things that you had tweeted previously and I was like, oh shit, I remember this guy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I remember this guy and probably yeah. tweeting back some insane shit. So let me just start by saying, I apologize uh, for my language on Twitter. Uh, but no, it's amazing to sort of see how this changed for you because you were a very staunch, very vocal supporter of Donald Trump initially in 2016, We'll get to the conversation because I do want to allude to, you know, yeah. our, our uh, mutual friend, Noah Kinsey. Um, you did an incredible conversation on his show as well. Great guy. Uh, fantastic guy, yeah. And you talked about the moment that had happened for you when you knew that, like, this guy was a fucking con man. But were there any cracks initially? Because he had said a yeah. lot of really outrageous shit, right? Were there any cracks initially for you where you sort of sat back and went, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't what I thought it was going to be?
2: Yeah, Adam. And, and look, I'll, I'll write the book soon one day about what the fuck happened. Because look, I'm, I'm a very public person. So a lot of people, you know, you become a caricature. A lot of, I, I was never an enthusiastic Trump supporter. You know, you got the, that clip that MSNBC always runs. If Trump doesn't win, I'm grabbing my musket and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I was on talk radio, 200 stations around the country. I supported Trump. I didn't love him or like him. He in fact, he blocked me on Twitter back in 2015 because I would criticize him. After he won, a bunch of radio people like me got invited to the White House. Trump disinvited me. So I was never that that's I, I was I but fair enough, Adam. I was a supporter. I fucking voted for the guy. I got to live with that. I figured at the time he's not Hillary. He's a goof. Maybe he'll play a lot of golf and maybe a couple good things might happen. I was wrong. I was dead wrong. I committed the cardinal sin, Adam. I did not, during that campaign, pay enough fucking attention to Trump. And that's on me. Uh, Again, weird, right? I'm on the radio, 200 stations around the country. I didn't pay enough attention to how evil and horrible he was. I began to after he got elected.
1: It's funny you mention that, Joe, because I remember— like pretty frequently reading in the news and watching all this happening and watching sort of the news media take hold of Trump and making him like a real serious candidate. And I remember thinking like, this is a real problem, right? <laughs> like, it's not like Jeb, right? Like where I have like fundamental disagreements on like, you know, economic policy or, you know, climate change, like we talked about, like these are very like easy things that we can talk about that are not sort of top tier, right? When you have somebody like Donald Trump going on national, international stage and calling Mexican people rapists and and, and murderers, you're like, holy shit, this is a serious problem. And
2: what what struck, go ahead. No, what what is what I was going to say, Adam, is what makes me a weird dude is I come from Trump world in that all of his supporters were my supporters. Mm. I call myself a reform gangbanger because I got out of the Trump gang. But one of the reasons I never took Trump seriously, I should have, but I understood the people who were supporting him because these were my folks Um, They would call into my radio show every day. I understood why Trump appealed to them, because I believed at the time, Adam, and I'd love your opinion on this. Mm -hmm. I said often then our politics is broken. We need some fucking disruption. Bernie, Bernie was a disruptor. And and I said the two parties suck. I still Mm -hmm. believe that we need some disruption. So I understood what was behind Trump and I I really appreciated it. Uh, I never took him seriously, though. I agree with
1: that. I I agree 100% that I feel like politics in general are broken. Um, I feel like there's not a candidate who generally portrays anything completely the way I feel as far as my political views, right? I think it's a spectrum yeah. of things. I think when we become these tribalistic people where we we can't have nuanced conversation, we can't have dialogue about some some things. I think I draw my line certain, you know, in certain areas, right? Like there's there's no room for racism. There's no room for, you know, xenophobia and shit like that. But as far when it comes to economic policy, we can yeah, sure we can talk about this. I think for me in 2016, one of the biggest issues that I had for the election was, and this was specifically with the Democrats, is that the Democrats didn't listen to the populace. And I'll I'll explain what I mean by that. And I'm sure you got a lot of that too on your side. But on my side, I was a huge... Bernie Sanders supporter. I believed in the mission. I believed in what he had to say. I believed he was going to be the guy to disrupt things. He and would you, have
2: beaten Trump, Adam. He, he would, would have, have smacked his
1: ass. He would have smacked yeah. him and drug him across the, the, the nation. He would yeah. have destroyed him in the polls. And I will go to my grave believing that. And also again in 2020, I believe that as well, but that's a whole different story. But I think that the time was ripe for the country and the Democrats in general to focus in, hone in on someone like Bernie Sanders as the antithesis of Donald Trump and say, okay, well, you guys want to go this way. Let's go on this side and do this. And they took what could have been a slam dunk election and they gave us Hillary Clinton.
2: Now, hey, Adam, (laughs) in 16, man, we were living in a populist moment, right? We are still living in a populist moment. Mm -hmm. The Democratic Party doesn't fucking understand that. No. And because they don't understand that, they're going to lose the House this year, and Trump, son of a bitch, may get elected again. They don't understand. The Democrats are in real danger of, like, losing touch with regular people.
1: Yes, yes. And they I think they already have in some respects. I think in, in, yeah. in a lot of aspects, you look at people, especially someone like me who is, you know, a former homeowner, sold house, ha- you know— Went, didn't lose my house, but sold it, trying to get back in the market. The inflation rates are out of control. Student debt is crazy just on me. I can't even, you know, my wife is also in the same boat. We have, a. there are a lot of things that are impacting our life financially, just on the economic portion of it. And here's Bernie with platforms and, and policies and ideas to say, listen, this isn't just gonna affect Adam. This isn't just gonna affect Joe. This is gonna affect everybody. And here's how we're gonna get to that point. Whether or not Joe and Adam agree on that, at least there's some, sh- like, solid, cohesive idea being presented. And for me, that was enough to be like, yeah, this guy gets it. This guy gets the fact that most Americans are in the same boat. But I think what happened with Trump is that Trump took that dial and turned it up and said, yes, all these people are fucking us, but it's the people that are, that are different colors than you. It's the people who are coming from overseas. It's the people who are invading the country, right? And he took this moment and literally ran with it. And I know there's been a lot of conversation about Trump and whether or not he believes what he says, which... I don't necessarily know <laughs> being a showman. I mean, you, I mean, you know, you and I both know, we do this for a living. Uh, there are things that I've said sometimes that have been, uh, you know, over the top and crazy. There, I can't imagine a world where someone would stand in front of people and actually believe that all of the things that he says. But he took that energy, he took that anger and ran with it and went with it and, and created a movement. And that was another question I was gonna ask you about today, Joe, was about the, the, the midterms coming up. We're in real danger of turning into a, into a scenario where there's going to be complete gridlock inside of Congress. What, do you feel like that is actually going to happen? Do you think that that's going to be what takes place when we come up in the midterms this year when we're, you know, we're, we're in a situation where Biden can't push anything because the GOP is going to push back so hard?
2: Yeah, look, uh, to go back to your previous point, Adam, the American voter was pissed off mm. in 16.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Bernie and Trump recognized that. Hillary didn't. Jeb and Marco and all these other knuckleheads didn't. Uh, Now, Trump's an evil demagogue. He's an evil disruptor. We still need disruption. We still live in this populist moment. Um, And and to to go now to your second question, yeah, I think, look, one of America's two major political parties, my former political party, has become anti-democracy, Uh, They, 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 they are a cult. They no longer believe in truth. They no longer believe that democracy can give them the America they want. So they want a fucking strong man to give it to them. That's the appeal with Trump. That's what I hear every day from the Republican party base. But the Democrat, look, I I, I mean, if I had 10 grand, Adam, the Republicans are going to take back the house. I mean, the Republican party is an existential threat to this country yet the Democrats are probably going to lose the House this year, and then you're going to get two years of Republicans just doing shit. I mean, they're already promising impeaching Biden, promising that now.
1: I just, I can't wrap my mind around some of this stuff sometimes. Like, I can't wrap my mind, and and I know we we sort of alluded to this earlier, and I know you've talked about it in other conversations where you, you, you agree that you played a part in sort of this yeah. this polarization when it comes to politics. And I think that's something that I have really noticed over maybe the past 10, 12, 15 years is that politics has become so polarizing and you have to have a very binary view of every situation and every context and every possible scenario. And there's no room for nuance. There's no room for dialogue. And if you are, you're triggered or if you're not, you're canceled. And it's like, it's all these weird dynamics in there. And, and as someone who, you know, admittedly played that a part in that, do you think that there is a way at this point now post Trump and maybe even pre-Trump round two, Jesus, is there, (laughs) I don't even want to think about it, but is there a way for us to To pull basically, essentially, put the toothpaste back in the tube, or do you think we're just too far gone at this point to ever see what we used to have here?
2: Um, I don't know, Adam. I'm older than you, uh, and (laughs) I'm a a dark Irishman, man. I I love this American experiment, but I don't know if it can be saved. Uh, I do not believe we're in a post-Trump era. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Trump's running again, and he'll get the nomination. No one will challenge him. But even if he doesn't, Adam the only kind of republican that can win will be a trumpian right i mean that's that party now it is an authoritarian party it is a fascist party that's given up on democracy oh uh, we are divided and, and, and look adam i've been very public right i played a role in inflaming the republican party base getting them pissed off and primed for trump the republican party establishment like the democratic party establishment ignored these populist fears and angers. And, and here we are. And you're right. Now we're super tribalized. I don't know if you can make... Look, the money's there, Adam. Sure. If I were on Fox News and I were Trump's the greatest, the Democrats are evil. If I was still doing that, I'd be making millions. And 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 if you're on the left, that's what you have to say. Somebody's got to have the fucking balls. Some corporate exec for a network's got to have the fucking balls to say enough. I'm going to put a liberal and a conservative on a show to have conversations, uh, or we're going to do something non uh, nonpartisan, straight right. down the middle, but we're not there yet.
1: I don't know, and again, I, I agree with your with your assessment. I, I don't believe either that we're in a post-Trump society. I don't even know if there's a way to get back to a post-Trump society at this point or, or a culture because it's so ingrained. Even when I go to the fucking gas station, there's these, you know, I did the stickers on the gas pumps, which cracks me up because the people who put them there obviously have no idea how, you know, gas prices work and geopolitics, but I digress. Um, I just don't know if there's a way for us to do that effectively at this point and I am afraid in a lot of, in a lot of ways that this experiment that we have really will fall apart.
2: I want to go here's what I, Adam, yeah, go Adam here's, here's what I think though is going to happen and cor- disagree with me if you want. Yeah, the Republicans will take back the house and maybe the Senate this year and they're going to have a short spurt of some success. But I've said publicly, I believe the Republican Party is a dying national party. I agree with it's that. Becoming, it's becoming a rural uh, regional party. It's it's a party of old white men and old white women. Um, so, so it's shrinking and dying. The only thing, by the way, Adam, that can save it is if the Democrats keep hemorrhaging working class voters. Correct. That's a different topic. But I think the Democratic Party is, and maybe more to your liking, is moving left, I really do believe in the next eight years you're going to see a fucking center-right, center-left party that says, fuck it, common sense, let's get some shit done. I think we're at a real inflection point in our politics. Well, I agree with that. I agree with that entire, that entire
1: setup you just gave there. I think that at a certain point, you're going to find people who are maybe more or less like, like both of us on our sides that are like, well, I don't necessarily agree with this. I agree with some parts of this, but I don't necessarily fully want to put myself behind this. But I've long thought, forever since I, you know, since as long as I can remember that the two party status is not sustainable long-term. I mean, if you look at other countries in the world, most of these people have six, seven, eight large parties and they all have that because all of these people have different viewpoints and different ideas and different ways they want to go about things. I don't think that the two party system is sustainable at all. But I also agree that it's almost like, in a lot of ways, the Republican Party is in their death throes. Right? They're doing yes. the death, the death noises, and they're they're grasping at power, which is what a lot of this is. Right? It's all a power grab. If you watch Ted Cruz's fucking weirdo performance the other day at, at the at the Jackson confirmations and all the weird shit that he's been doing. Um, it it literally is it's a, it's a dying breath of a group of people who are who know that their time is limited and they have that they have less support than they ever had and they're trying to figure out any way they can to keep it which is why i think most of these guys even the, and again ted cruz is another great example i don't believe for a second that that guy believes what he says he called donald trump biff tannen at a fucking rally you know like which i think is the greatest comparison of all time but i also think that this guy doesn't believe what he says. He's strictly doing it for the money and the power aspect of things. Uh, what? There's no way that the spell is gonna break at this point. Is there anything that could happen that you think would break that spell?
2: Yeah, and, and Adam, I, I've got an interesting perspective because A, I come from Congress and B, I come from right-wing media. Um, you're right in that most of my former colleagues in Congress, most of them, Privately, think about Trump like I say publicly. Hmm. They don't have the balls to say it. They've sold their souls. But the 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 crazy caucus, the Marjorie Taylor Greene caucus in Congress is growing. Right. Uh, Jim Jordan, who you probably can't stand, Adam. He and I were best buddies when I was there. I never thought he'd be a true believer. Really? He's a fucking true believer. Wow. Um, so so that. That wing of the Republican Party is growing. So there are more believers in the party than you think. And I also think in right wing media, a lot of these talk show hosts and Hannity and Tucker, uh, they believe a lot of the shit they say. It's insane. It's insane.
1: It's absolutely insane. I want to go back to something we were talking about earlier. Um, you were talking about, talking about how we're in like this populist moment right now at this moment. And and I absolutely 110% agree. I've talked to, you know, Bob Costa before about this when he was on the show. I genuinely believe that Trump is planning and will likely win the 2024 election. Bob basically, Bob had said something along the lines of, I can't get into Trump's head, but I, you know, all signs are leading to that point. Something paraphrasing, obviously. Yeah. Is there a person, because obviously Bernie's going to be in his 80s at the time we get to in two years. You know, I I don't know for sure if Biden is going to run, but I don't believe he's the candidate to overthrow Trump for a second time. Is there a candidate on the Democratic side that you would say, that Joe would say, this is the guy that's going to carry the Bernie torch. This is the person that's going to take the Democratic populist movement to the next level. And this is the person that can beat Trump effectively.
2: I don't, Adam, see that Democrat now. The Democrats desperately need, like a Joe Walsh, who's a Democrat, somebody who can fucking say fuck and roll up their sleeves and go down into a bar outside of Akron and talk to real fucking people and tell them how fucking dangerous this fascist party is. And I hear you, working class America, and I'm going to work with you. I need somebody like that. Maybe that was sort of Biden 30 years ago. I, I don't see it now, and, and, and Adam, it scares the fuck out of me because if they don't have somebody that can get in the ring with Trump and fucking fight for regular people, they're going to lose.
1: I say that often. I say it all the time. I say to my wife all the time, and I'm a big, I'm a big hip-hop guy, and it's always like it, it feels like the Democrats, to paraphrase uh, uh, Jay-Z, they're playing pity pat with a chess player. They are literally playing by a set of rules that Trump has thrown out the window and has literally ripped up. And fuck this, I'm done. I'm not doing this. <laughs> like, he has literally completely fucking scorched earth every rule that we've ever had in politics, every norm we've ever thought we've had in politics. And here are the Democrats going, well, maybe we can come up with some common sense solutions and maybe we can come up with some ideas that we can go back and do this. It's like, that's not what you need right now. You can get to that in, point, but you need
2: right in now. Adam, yeah, and Adam, that's right. Everything you just said is right. The other thing hurting the Democrats is the left, their progressive wing, is focused on the wrong shit. I agree. I agree like, to a certain like, extent. Like, yeah. like look, uh, uh, the gender awareness, important. The wokeness, important. Uh, critical race theory and and dealing with our racist past, all important. Uh, but, but my God, don't shove – wokeness down our throats, help Americans get there. Um and, and and it's just the left right now, Adam, and again, this is your world more than sure. mine, the left seems to be more focused on elite, out of touch, woke issues than real life issues.
1: Like focused that may on may not be fair. Well, I mean I understand what you're saying though. I understand what and, and sort of let me try to contextualize what you're what you're saying is we're focusing so heavily on these important things, right? Like we, we absolutely need to deal with the institutional and structural racism in this country that is built, right? We absolutely need to deal with the LGBTQ community, making sure that they have equal rights, equal access, uh, women have equal access still, that they're not gonna be losing things that have been decided 40, 50, 60 years ago. These are all very important things, but people also need to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. We also need to focus on our crumbling infrastructure. We also need to be focused on the rampant income inequality that's happening in this country where the top 1% of people control 90% of the wealth, right? Like these are all very important things. Working class people are being put out of work completely. Coal is not coming back. Oil is a dying industry. These are things that are actually happening right now. Where my thing is always like, and I'm sure, Joe, you probably said this a lot too, we should be devoting money and resources to these folks who are out of work. Okay, the coal industry is dead, right? Let's take money and throw, allocate billions of dollars to these out of work, out of place, or out sourced workers and teach them a new skill, teach them how to code in computers, teach them something else they can use inside of an industry that will allow them to go back into the workforce in an effective way. There are resources to do this. How do we fix the working class? How does this happen? And this is how you have to do it. And I think people get bogged down in the details and, and it's the flashbang of Twitter and the, um, what do I call it? It's, uh, you know, there's a reason that Twitter pops up. It's almost like a casino, right? You push down and it pops up a whole bunch of shit that pisses you off and it makes you super angry, but it misdirects you from the actual things that are happening. Like these people are fucking robbing us blind. There is an evil dictator across the world right now committing fucking war crimes on Ukraine. And we are sitting here focusing on the wrong things. We're screaming at each other about the contextual nuance of Will Smith smacking Chris
2: Rock. We are not well, focusing on the right things. Right, Adam. I, uh, I talk to a lot of independent people who identify with neither party. And what I hear over and over from these folks is a variation of, Yeah, Joe, the Republicans are evil, but the Democrats are always talking down to me. I hear that over and over. A crime, whether Democrats like it or not, crime is a big fucking issue with most Americans. Right. And look, the Democrats. Two years ago, Adam didn't push back against the defund the police bullshit. You got a couple people on the left who threw that out there and are still throwing that out there. Joe Biden, the Democrats got to push back against that. That's bullshit. And then the other thing I think of, Adam, is right now, uh, two weeks ago, uh, the squad, the left caucus in conference, uh, introduced legislation to try to immediately move us off of fossil fuels, take advantage of you know Russia and the oil and everything, move us off of fossil fuels immediately. That's tone deaf. It yeah. ain't going to happen. Things don't prog- stop
1: that. Progress happens incrementally, right? And while we, yeah. all, while I know everybody agrees too, and I say this all the time, progress was long overdue. But there are a lot of forces at play, especially with something like fossil fuel. Like there are so yeah. many things that are in, tied and ingrained to that. There needs to be a way to sort of step back. And, and I think when you say about defund the police too, I want to make sure that I, I, am, I address this as well. I think the biggest issue with that is it, it's, a, it's a coding issue, right? It's a, it's a, it's a way that people presented that. The necessarily, it's not necessarily we're like, we're going to defund the police. We don't want police on the streets. Nobody, I can assure you as someone as a representative from the left, no one said that right? I have my own issues with police and police brutality and things like that, but no one is saying actively, you know, let's get the police off the street. And if they are, they're missing the point. What we're saying is we're taking money and we're taking resources away from the militarization options that we're doing and putting it back into resources that are saying, okay, well, let's talk about why criminality happens. Let's talk why drug use is so prevalent in the world. Let's take this information. Let's take these resources and allocate them to I don't know, uh, bringing in uh, psychological help for not just the offenders, but also the police department, getting people resources that they need, giving a robust budget to uh, fighting drug abuse, fighting, like giving drug and alcohol awareness programs, actual money where they can do those things, right?
2: Adam, 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 I love your brother and everything you're saying is right, but that ain't a bumper sticker. Right, Somebody exactly. Somebody on the left, Right. somebody on the left said defund the police. And in fact, the congresswoman from St. Louis, Cori Bush, I respect her, a proud progressive. She said even a couple months ago, we need to defund the police. And Democrats said, please stop saying that. Right. Because you know, and I know what happens is the Republicans jump on that and pin it on the whole Democratic Party. Absolutely,
1: and that's the thing is, it, and it becomes a it becomes a trophy for people like Trump. It becomes a trophy for people like Ted Cruz to say, "Oh, look at these idiots over here. They're talking about getting yeah. rid of police department. Let's keep ourselves, you know, safe." And there, and no one is really paying attention to like the subtext, the subtextual Nazi quotes that are happening while they're saying these things. Right? It's it's yeah. just it's absolutely. It's the most frustrating experience of my life when trying to have a conversation with anyone about politics. So I'm enjoying this conversation, and I want to continue this. But I want to go back to something that I mentioned earlier, um, and, and that sort of took place in the conversation that you had with with Noah. You talked about the moment, and it kind of ties into the conversation I wanted to start with with Russia and Ukraine, and kind of go into those things as well. But you talked about the moment that you knew that Trump was a con man. That you were like, "Fuck, this is fucking insane. I can't do this anymore."
2: Take me sort of step-by-step step through that. What was that moment? What was it like for you? So there were three moments, uh, Adam, uh, and I don't know if I said this to Noah. Hopefully I did. <laughs> uh, I didn't pay enough attention to him until he got elected. Right. Once he got elected, if you'll remember, within a couple weeks of that election, it all came public that Russia fucked with our elections specifically to help get him elected. And his immediate reaction was, "That's bullshit. I don't want anybody tarnishing my victory." And I remember thinking right then, "Oh my God, he's incapable. He just won. He's yeah. incapable of acting for the country. Yeah. Then I, then point number two was, I started to pay attention to him when he's president every single day. And I realized after a few days that every fucking time he opens his mouth, he tells a lie. Period. Yeah. Look, Adam, I've been an elected official. Every politician lies, fudges, hedges. This guy lies as he breathes. And I remember saying to myself, I don't care if a president is giving me everything I want. If he lies to me every day, I can't support him. And so as I'm on the radio, I'm starting to go south on Trump every day, week, month and year. And I'm starting to get beat up by my supporters and my friends and my advertisers and my bosses and my former colleagues. The final data point number three, the final straw was Helsinki the summer of 18. Yep. When that son of a bitch, when that traitor stood in front of the world and told the world, I believe Putin and not my own people. It it was the greatest act of disloyalty I've ever seen. Adam, I went on my radio show that night and I said, I went off and I said, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that this traitor is not reelected. At that point, my whole world turned upside down. I uh, I remember watching that and just um,
1: and then and then they tried to do the spinning where he was like, oh, he didn't actually mean that. You know, what he meant was this and that. He literally said, he told me, and I believe him. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking oh. kidding me? Not just the, the just like take out the US for right now, the entire world has agreed that Vladimir Putin was heavily involved in disrupting the 2016 election. There is physical, tangible proof that this happened. I can't imagine for someone like you who was, you know, like I said, a staunch supporter, someone who threw their neck out for this guy, and then to hear this guy speak in, the, in, in front of the world and lie, not just lie, but also upend what we knew about the, the, the national security information and all these things that are happening. Like, what was that like for
2: you? It was, uh, uh, Adam, it was devastating um, because I knew I was losing my world. Uh, about three weeks after Trump was sworn in, I remember turning to my wife. I came home from the radio show that night and I turned to my wife and I said, this isn't going to end well for me because privately and internally, I knew what this guy was and I knew I was going to have to go against somebody who everybody who loved me supported. So I knew the day was gonna come and I knew I was gonna lose my show and my livelihood and and I could never get elected as a Republican again. But just profound sadness that this space, Adam, that 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 I was a part of, that I helped radicalize, was now fully radicalized.
1: I can't even imagine the gravity of that. The gravity of that statement to know shit, I'm never gonna get out of this. And it's never I I think the hardest thing for me overall with Trump is just trying to understand why someone would do something like this, why someone would take, and, and Howard Stern, I think kind of alluded to this too, in some respects, why someone who for all intents and purposes has a really like kind of, Cherry life. right? He's a, a multi-billion dollar guy. Well, quote unquote, multi-billion dollar real estate developer. You know, he's living in New York City. He doesn't need to do this. What would drive someone to do this? And I often thought to myself that the public statements and the reveals that it eventually happened about the Russian collusion and things of that nature and all these things that happen, it lines up. And then when he says things like, oh, well, I believe Putin, and now he's publicly talking about how, oh, this wouldn't have happened if Vladimir Putin was, if I was in office and he went and invaded the Ukraine, or invaded Ukraine rather, like, no, dude, you would have allowed him to do this. You wouldn't have said, you were just talking about pulling out of NATO two years ago. You were just talking about pulling out of all these these groups and these organizations. So for me, it's just, I, I often wonder, and I often have questions. Now, obviously they said that, you know, they couldn't prove it, this, that, and the other, but like- If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? What's your analysis on that? Do you think that he was as heavily involved as they say he is?
2: I, uh, Adam, I do believe Russia has shit on him. Yeah. I do believe Putin has him by the balls. The one constant about Trump, the only constant about Trump is everything he's done in his life Has been to benefit Donald Trump. It's why he ran for president. It's why he's done and said everything since he's been president. He will only run again if it benefits him.
1: I agree. I think he's only going to do it if it's going to make sense for him to do it. And I think he's only going to do it if he knows he can win. So I still think that there's. By the
2: way, by the way, by the way, Adam, privately, I still have some decent relationships with people who've worked with him. Mm. And they've told me privately, he really does believe he won. He really, really (laughs) believes he won. He thinks, and of course, he could never say this because he's too stupid. He says it was rigged. They stole it. Voter fraud, which is all bullshit. But what he believes is Democrats in states, because of COVID, they changed the election rules to purposely hurt him. He believes if 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 without COVID, he really believes he won. He does. Could you imagine like I don't even know how to respond to that? No. Like it's like you and I you, can't. You how you can't. How could
1: you be so so fucking stupid? Like, how could you be so stupid and so inept? How could you not C, I just, I don't even know how to respond to that properly. (laughs) Like, struggling, you know?
2: Adam, the last thing I'll say about Trump is, and I wrote a book about this called Fuck Silence. Trump is incapable of human empathy. Yeah. Meaning he can't care about anybody else. But he's also, here's his secret sauce. Trump is incapable of shame. Yeah. Like- I've done some stupid shit and tweeted some stupid shit, and I've done a lot of apologizing. Trump never apologizes because he's incapable of thinking or feeling that he's done wrong, ever. That's
1: powerful. I can't, I don't know if I have a function in my body where I know, you know, and I've seen, I've seen some of the, the public statements you've made about the tweets and you know, the, the Mia culpas and things of those nature. And it's, it's, that's always a really positive thing when you can announce and say publicly, yep, I fucked up. Shouldn't have said fucked that. Up. That was wrong. That was incredibly wrong. And I'm sorry. I've been there. We've all said these things, right? And anybody who is without fault in that or believes that they are without fault is full of shit. But it yeah. is an incredible thing to see Trump just not apologize for anything, and not just Adam. apologize, but twist it back to be somebody. It's like the the the, the mental gymnastics it takes for something like that is is it, for me. It's like wow, that's kind of impressive.
2: But but Adam, it's, it, again, I I don't want this to sound bad. It's almost kind of cool, right? Because that's his power. Yeah. If you don't feel if you if you're incapable of ever feeling bad. You have the ultimate power. You can do whatever the fuck you want. You can fuck around on your wife with a porn star. You can rob, steal. You can do anything because you don't feel shame. Right. It's almost. It's. It's really cool in a way. It's a. It's a a bad way.
1: In a bad way, yeah. It's a unique. It's a unique um, set of uh, skills that one must have uh, in order to do that. But I. I know that. I agree with you with Donald Trump. I don't think that he is going to run unless he knows he's going to win, which is the last question I wanted to ask you before we tie up today here. The January 6th committee, I know that recently in the past couple of days, uh, some of the reporting that Bob Woodward and Robert Costa have done have unearthed these Eastman memos uh, and they've also gone to the emails. The John Eastman emails are now in the hands of the January 6th committee. I take a look at all these things, and it's I sort of feel in a lot of the same ways that I did during the two impeachment trials, and you know that the Mueller investigation. Um, basically, Trump seems to be Teflon. There doesn't seem to be anything that touches this guy, and when they when there is, when especially in this this January 6th committee setting, it, it doesn't seem like anything is going to stick. Do you think? Anything is going to stick from the January 6th committee. Uh, And what do you think long term will be the implications of that if it does? I guess an easier way to craft that would be, do you think Merrick Garland has the balls to charge Donald Trump with a crime?
2: Well, I want to be careful, uh, Adam, and I know you will agree with what I'm about to say. Bill Barr was not the attorney general he was Donald Trump's personal lawyer 100% I had a problem I had a problem when when I was in Congress and Obama was president I felt like Eric Holder got a little too political I want, look, I, do I want Merrick Garland to <laughs> put Trump in the slammer? Hell yeah. But I want Merrick Garland, he's independent. I do not want Merrick Garland impacted by politics. Correct. I want him to arrive at what he arrives at based on the facts, the law, and the truth. Um, and I hope he gets there. But I don't want, and by the way, Biden's done a great job of saying, he's. Uh, I'm not going to impact what he's doing. Right, right. Um, it's important to say that, though, too, because everybody wants to talk about how political this
1: is, and Biden's like, "Hey, I'm not involved in this. I don't want anything to do with this." And when I say Garland having the balls, I want to just kind of go back and, and maybe retcon that a little bit. What I mean is that I want to make sure that he has the balls, in spite of the political fear mongering and the the tribalism that comes with that. To be someone who is independent, the way Mueller was, to be independent and say, "I'm not going to look at this as someone who is part of the Biden administration." I am the attorney general of the United States. Here's what the facts say. This is what we need to do.
2: Boom, boom, boom. It perfectly said, Adam. And I think Garland has the balls to do that. If he's got the facts and evidence and law on his side, he'll do right. To answer the second part of your question, though, unless Trump is in jail or no longer with us, he's untouchable among Republican voters. Mm-hmm. If he's indicted, Adam, that will be a badge of honor. Nothing the January 6th committee will do will weaken him. It will all embolden him with Republican party voters. That that ship has sailed.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think I think in a lot of ways, and some of these are exercises in futility because we already know, we know what happened, right? All you gotta do is read Peril. You gotta read yes. the books. You gotta read all the stuff that's already out there, all the reporting that happened it's all there. It all happened. And it happened in real time. This shit is real, but nothing seems to stick on this guy. Nothing seems to change the minds of the voters. And I'm, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what it's going to do to, to break the spell of Donald Trump on people until maybe you're right. Maybe he's in the ground. Maybe he's gone. I, I just don't, I don't know what the answer to that question is. Uh.
2: I I, I I was on CNN a week or so ago, and somebody asked me when will the fever break. I don't think it's breaking, and it's certainly not breaking anytime soon. No. Uh, we are at we're we're at a a seminal moment in American history where we have one major political party leaving democracy, and this is a scary thought. And as you said, Adam hell, it's time for another political party too. So we're in for 10 to 20 years of real rough and tumble.
1: And one thing I want to say to sort of bookend that as well, before I get to my final question, I I do believe that it's not, not only is it not going to break, it's going to get worse because there's someone out there right now, maybe it's that Madison Cawthorn guy, maybe it's even Ted Cruz, which I highly doubt, but there is someone out there who is going to take the principles of Trumpism And they're going to take what he did and they're going to be better about it. They're going to find loopholes in the law. They're going to be smarter and they're going to be able to upend democracy the way that Trump wasn't able to do. And I think it's going to get way worse before it gets better. That's just my opinion. But Joe, I want to to ask you one last question before I let you go. I know that you had talked a little bit about um, the consequences of you being anti-Trump, losing your show, losing your livelihood, you know, people that you spoke to for years no longer speaking to you. Was it worth it, and would you do it again?
2: Adam, that's such a good question. Um, uh, The short answer is yes, because I had no other fucking choice. I, I, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't do what I did. And yeah, you can say, Adam, you can say, oh, Joe, you're so fucking courageous. You lost your job, your show. You're done in politics. You lost friends and supporters, and you get death threats every day. Oh, Joe, you're so courageous. Bullshit. I couldn't live with myself if I didn't do what I believed was right. Did I take a hit? I took a hit. But you know what? Uh, I I will tell my grandkids with pride that your grandfather just did what he thought was the right thing to do.
1: I agree. And I, I would take, I would do the same thing a hundred times a day, every single day, if it meant I was on the right side of history. So Joe Walsh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate an amazing conversation. Where can anybody who's listening right now follow you online? And I know you said you
2: wrote a book recently too, right? Uh, The book is called Fuck Silence, Calling Trump Out for the Authoritarian Con Man He Is by It. You can follow me on Twitter at Walsh Freedom. And I also have a podcast out there called White Flag with Joe Walsh. Check it out. Adam, you're great, man. This was fun. I appreciate
1: that, sir. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to having you back on. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to catch up after the midterms. All right. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. You too.
0: Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and executive produced by Adam Barnard. The show is also produced by Sam Krebs. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Alme. Our intro and outro music is produced by Dumb Ugly. Find this episode and our full archive at foundationradio.net. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. This has been a Foundation Radio production. Butts Carlton, proprietor.